Why are captive health arrangements enjoying exponential growth? And what do you need to know to bring those benefits to your clients? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. There's been a lot of discussion and obviously a lot more interest, and we've spoken about it on the podcast, about partially self-funded plans and the role that they play today in a number of different ways with employers, mid-size, large-size, obviously, and sometimes small size. We've talked to a bunch of different people about a bunch of different partially self-funded things from stop loss and different perspectives on that to, you know, how you set up a plan. But what we haven't done is talk about what I think is a very interesting, we'll call it a wrinkle or a facet of partially self-funded plans, and that's captive health arrangements. And in thinking about who we wanted to get on the program to talk about those, I thought, well, I've got my old friend, Jim Hoyt, who's the senior vice president at Captive Division at Berkeley Accident and Health. And Jim probably knows more about captive health arrangements than anybody I know for sure. So we wanted to bring him on the program and we finally got it done. So welcome, Jim. Good morning, David. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Let's level set. What is a captive health arrangement? A captive health arrangement is a financial arrangement for which an employer that decides to self-fund their health plan buys medical stop loss to backstop the the assets of the health plan and then forms or joins a captive and the captive acts as a reinsurer to that medical stop loss. Ultimately, what it creates is I'd kind of call it a financial envelope that wraps around the health plan and collaborates and shares with a number of employers to give them a mitigation to the concept of self-funding. So ultimately, a captive, what, really what it breaks down to, a captive is, is a, a financial mechanism where a non-risk-taking entity, an entity that doesn't typically take risk, can participate in share in risk uh, as if they were an insurance company. And when we talk about benefits captives, we talk about the ability to use medical stop-loss to participate in a captive and provide a number of different financial values for, for that health plan. So if folks are knowledgeable about partially self-funded plans and you were kind of drawing it out on a graph, it would probably have two layers, right? It would be, here's what the employer's claims projections are and cost projections and fixed costs and all that stuff. And then above that, there would be stop loss. A captive health arrangement creates kind of a middle layer, doesn't it? It does. We like to talk about it in three different layers. We talk about a retained layer. We talk about a shared layer. And we talk about a risk transfer layer. And when we talk about the retained layer, it's what the employer, a self-funded or partially self-funded employer might typically recognize or be familiar with when they retain risk. They're taking a significant amount of risk up to a specific deductible. 
that's going to, uh, there, that means the risk that they're going to take for a single individual that has, um, a number of costly claims under the health plan. And they're also taking risk for the overall utilization of the plan or the aggregate protection. So there's your specific and aggregate and they're there. The employer is retaining that risk in the traditional partially self-funded approach, all risk there afterwards, the risks above, let's say, an employer-specific deductible or the risks above their captive aggregate attachment layer are transferred over to the stop-loss carrier. But in the, the stop-loss group captive arrangement, there's this additional layer that comes in. And, and what happens is the captive really acts as a reinsurer to the stop-loss. It takes an additional layer for each of the employers that participate in the captive. It takes an additional layer of specific coverage and absorb some of that aggregate coverage up to a certain layer, and the captive is has a maximum limit to it, at which point in time the stop-loss carrier then retains risk from there on out. So we have, um, back to our sort of orig- original three thoughts, employers can retain risk when it's the right level for them. We've now created this middle share layer where a number of employers join together to share risk at an agreeable layer above each of the individual employer's specific or aggregate deductibles. And then we continue to have a risk transfer layer out to a medical stop-loss carrier or an excess carrier that has much more capacity, much more financial capability to assume the significantly catastrophic risk claims that are out there. And so again, the, the three buckets create some real added financial value for the, for the retained layer that the individual employers take they can manage their risk effectively to the extent that they perform well in that layer. They keep those dollars in their shop. They keep those dollars in their manufacturer. They keep those dollars with that employer. And so that retention is the, is the similar value that they would get just by being traditionally self-funded. The second shared layer where the captive comes in, um, the employers are participating in that through the premium they pay to the medical stop-loss carrier. They're participating in losses via some of the risks that, that this captive is assuming above the specific deductible and in, in attached to the aggregate risk. And uh, from there, if claims exceed those dollar amounts, they would then continue to transfer out the risk to the carrier that has that financial capability to take it. Now, there are a couple of, let's call them flavors of captives. What are they and is one better than the other? Yeah, a couple of ways to think about captives if, if you think about them in terms of what glues them together. What is the glue that brings this group of employers together? In our greater portfolio of the various programs that we touch, we have a number of heterogeneous programs and we have a number of homogeneous programs. So our heterogeneous programs are described as being um, dissimilar in industry, not in the same industry, potentially not in the same region being unaffiliated from a business standpoint in in a number of ways, really being a completely different demographic profile than the other members in the plan uh, or or the other members in the captive, I should say. So at its face, we would look at that and say, you know, an employer participating in a heterogeneous captive doesn't necessarily have the same types of business constraints, the same types of business objectives as the other members. However, their desire to have a better financial outcome for their health plan is some similarity. And in addition to that, they recognize that their, their self-funded plan or their fully insured plan prior to, they were unfamiliar with any of the risk uh, components or any of the other employers that might have been participating in, those, uh, in this, those risk profiles as well. So the heterogeneous program gives you diversity. It gives you a number of different uh, entities across a spectrum of industry and a spectrum of regions. It blends those risks together. 
the I think there is still similarities within within the heterogeneous model in that those employers really do need to focus on a, a consistent risk management strategy. They need to be like minded in the results they're seeking from their health plan. They don't necessarily need to be like-minded in the benefit offering, in the, the co-pays and plan designs and the third-party administrators and the PBM that support the plan, but they should be certainly like-minded and consistently focused with the other members on the results they're seeking, and the willingness to collaborate and have better results, you know, and ultimately provide great care, but manage their cost across their health plan. So that's the heterogeneous model. On the homogenous model, there's certainly an immediate affinity amongst the the members. It's our it's our direct opposite. We've got a number of employers that are in a same industry for for potential purposes. We'd also say there's some homogenous approach to when we have a number of employers that are in one particular regional area, and they um, they share a community in terms of a greater community, in terms of employment and, and a town and a particular part of a state, for example, purposes. So there's certainly some homogenous um, approach there. So there's, there is great value in that affinity. They speak the same speak. They have many of the same challenges and problems. They may even share in a lot of ways a number of elements of the way they run their business, whether they have economies of scale, whether they uh, wholesale purchasing items together, um, whether they serve on boards in their associations or advisory groups. So that, that gives them a, a good head start um, to share risk. Uh, but ultimately, it still falls back on making sure that the homogenous program does have a like-minded approach to wanting better outcomes and wanting to collaborate across the board for uh, for its its various participants. So, uh, I think a long answer to your question is we don't necessarily see a standout uh, result that that jumps one versus the other. We see very successfully run heterogeneous programs that have a great profile, a very engaged members, highly collaborative. Um, but, a, but a tremendous amount of diversity in the way they manage their plan, uh, and they run successful. And we have homogenous programs that, um, that have very favorable results as well and are certainly much more aligned in, in uh, their understanding of each other's business or their, or their region. So it's, um, I'd say those are the two greater models in terms of the constituency of the membership, but I don't think there's any real clear path to a better result based on those two models. Are these, regardless of the model, are these captive arrangements limited to larger firms? I know for a long time, the industry thinking was that you had to have a firm that was fully credible in order to go into a partially self-funded arrangement. And as time has gone on and as interest has increased, I know those numbers have come down significantly and there have been new ways of approaching the problem. Is that true with captive arrangements? Not necessarily. I think there's an evolution. Um, we've been in this this business for uh, for over ten years now, and there was certainly a mindset in the beginning that said smaller to mid sized employers, let's call them under five hundred lives on their plan, are are and 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 that are financially savvy and fina- financially in good standing, recognize that a self funded or partially self funded approach is is the right fit for them, but at their size. There's, there's some pain there. There's some challenges. There's the fear of the volatility that goes along with being self-funded. And so certainly our target, and I think the target of, of, um, of, this, of this business strategy, this benefit captive medical stop loss group captive strategy was focused on those employers. I'm stuck in the fully insured jail, if you will, and um, because I just can't deal with the, the, the volatility and the multitude of challenges that come along with being self-funded at my size. So the captive originally was designed to give those types of entities 100 lives, 150 lives, 300 lives, 
the opportunity to to now self-fund, take advantage of all those great benefits, certainly the other added benefits that came up under the ACA and, and some of the, the, the components of ACA that, that um, caused strain to the fully insured world, give an outlet to those employers to go ahead and self-fund, do it in an environment where they do have that financial envelope around them, do it in an environment where they can collaborate with a number of other employers that, that share their concerns and pains and that are like-minded in their search for better outcomes and better cost and better uh, health plan care for their employees. And that's certainly the way the model um, was, was built and, and began and migrated. And we went from our sort of conceptual early adoption phase into where we're at now, which is really a mainstay in the marketplace. The, the, the medical stop loss group captive as a financial strategy for your health plan is really a, a, it's a track in our business now. It's, it's something that's recognized and, and certainly familiar across associations, industry journals, and we've certainly seen it in our, in our book of business. And so I think with that recognition comes the concept that even larger employers have now started to look at this and say, you know, well, I might not have the volatility concerns because of our size and our potential credibility. I really like the extra intangibles that being participating in a captive provide to us, i.e. that collaboration with other employers um, where, where the, the, a best practice approach emerges organically rather than kind of being forced on employers. So large employers like that collaboration. They're also looking for more mechanisms to just offset trend a little bit on their health plan. And by participating in the medical stop loss coverage, in the medical stop loss insurance, essentially participating in a captive that's taking a big portion of that risk on and controlling those dollars, that just provides them a few extra points um, in, in, over the course of time. And this course assumes that, that, that they perform well. Uh, and, and these large employers will look at their history of performing well with stop loss carriers and say, all right, we want a piece of that potential action to help depress some of the trend that we're seeing on our plan. And it just kind of adds more value to their overall strategy of the health plan. So I think it's, uh, it's certainly migrated. I think there's still a sweet spot in that. Again, we'll put that one to 500 range where, where the financial concept of self-funding was a little bit out of reach and now really is within reach for a number of those employers. But the success of it and all the other positive elements that go along with it have really started to translate to even some of the larger employers. And now, a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now back to our discussion. So if I'm a benefit advisor and I've got a fairly decent sized book, what is the thought process that triggers me to say, gee, I, I ought to look into a captive arrangement? I think there's a, a couple of things. One is you need to be fully bought into the concept of, of self-funding, that self-funding at its core makes sense for an employer to control more of the dollars, to, to not bleed out margin off of 
uh, off of every first dollar um, premium payment over to a profit of an insurance company. All the concepts of really buying into self-funding are certainly the, the I think, the, the preeminent uh, attribute that an agency should have. But secondarily, and maybe more importantly, once we make that first step, is that the agency needs to have a really clear vision of how they're going to better manage these self-funded health plans, their customers. What is their vision of risk management? What is their vision of, of you know, for to be uh, a little dramatic, what is their vision of the perfect health plan? And how can we guide our, um, our customers, our, our self-funded employers into all of the various strategies that are going to result in the, the best plan they can offer their employees. So I think the agency has to have um, the capabilities to self-fund their business and be focused on that. And and then they've got to have the resources to be able to really draw up, build up, focus on uh, building a ground up, assembling a risk management platform for their employers to bring it together. The, the captive at its at its um, at its basic is really nothing more than than a financial mechanism. It's really a, a bank account where where funds move back and forth. That's its sort of its simplified form. It's not the panacea in itself. The real strength here is what we do with the captive, the effort we make to provide, in for all intents and purposes, a packaged program. Bring together the best services that can provide the best results for an employer. Take some chances, do some innovative things, and see how those results play out, and then spread those positive or, or negative results um, and, and feedback to the other customers that are in it. So um, I'd say those two elements being focused on self-funding, having a clear risk management vision. And then the third element I'd say would be that they, they need to kind of be all in. They need to have somebody at their, their agency, um, whether it's themselves or a part of their team, that is the quarterback on this because it's certainly not the easy button. The easy button is still fully insured. It's still giving the risk completely over, the plan design over, the plan strategy, all the elements that go along with that over to an insurance company, uh, that's the easy button. But um, if we're thinking about long-term success, we're thinking about long-term financial success, and we're thinking about better ways to add value um, from the advisor to the employer, um, you know, we believe this is the right strategy. And uh, the agency's got to be all in. They've got to make sure they've got somebody that can really drive that and be part of this uh, on a regular basis. Now, setting one of these up, it has a lot more moving parts, obviously, than just having an employer sign an agreement and stroke a check once a month to a fully insured plan. That can be daunting for some agencies and some groups of employers to deal with. What is that like and how do you manage that as, a, as an advisor? Yeah, there's a couple things to think about when we, we think about setting these up. So there is the idea that um, if we were going to go into the unbundled, partially self-funded world, the advisors got to work with their employer to pick those elements of risk management that are best for them. And I mentioned before the, the right TPA, the right PBM, you know, whatever disease management strategies might work for them, other bolt-on elements to the health plan. So, so that's, a, that's an important starting point. The health plan in itself, the whole self-funded concept in itself. Picking the carrier, the stop-loss carrier that's going to be right for you to support your your medical stop-loss group captive approach. Now that we've put together our self-funded strategy, um, the stop-loss carrier is a key element to it. Does the stop-loss carrier understand the captive business? Do they do they focus in it? Do they um, have a, you know a, a real uh, niche in the business? Um, do they understand all the moving parts that go along with? employers that are taking risk at a higher level for the first time. So I think your stop loss carrier is a really important element that goes along with that. 
And of course, the financial strength of the carrier is an important thing too. Does, does at the end of the day, we still need to medical stop loss still needs to be written at an A plus level and needs to do all the things that it does to support the assets of the self funded plan. So your self funded plan to start and all the elements, your stop loss carrier, and then comes the captive mechanism. And you know, in the marketplace, there are there are turnkey solutions, solutions that are available to employers that are what I'd kind of call pre baked. They, um, if, if we do think of the captive as, a, as essentially a bank account that allows funds to come in across a spectrum of employers, allows losses to seed in across those same uh, spectrum of employers, and allows those employers to then participate in the remaining premium balance or, or the opposite side of it, if there, were, if there was some additional needed uh, funding for it, they share in that risk together. That's the mitigation that, that helps their health plan. If we think of that as, as a bank account, and think of it as going to one of the largest banks in the U.S., whatever it might be, Bank of America, and saying to them, I want to take out a bank account. That's one way to do it. And Bank of America gives you the, the, the turnkey bank account. Here it is. Put your deposit in place and you're ready to rock. And we take care of everything for you. That's the turnkey captive solution. And that's available to employers through some of the better partners out in the marketplace. The secondary um, solution is to, to build your own bank, so to speak, to, to, be, to pull together a number of different um, facilities and advisors that, that help them build their own bank and kind of build their own captive program from ground up. That, of course, takes resources and investment side of it. And so what we see in the marketplace is having expertise to support an advisor on all of the self-funded platforms and vendor solutions that they have to decide on, having that expertise, combining that expertise with stop-loss um, support stop loss um, policy that's A plus rated and, and solid. And then having that turnkey solution for the advisors that see this fit, but don't want to go down the route of having to build up this, this bank account, this captive structure um, is a really great value. And certainly something that's, that's, you know, something that we offer to the marketplace as well. But on the same token, we see it as an evolution. So these employers five, 10 employers, 15, 20, 30, 50 employers eventually start to be part of this turnkey captive. And they begin to look at and say, you know what, we understand this now. We think we would like to build our own. And I think that becomes a natural evolution of this process. So there's that ability to use the turnkey to build up. There's certainly the ability um, to, to, to create one from scratch. Uh, and then there's the ability to kind of use the best of both worlds and build as you go. Um, and, and I think that's the, uh, the way that we see more advisors kind of jumping in is to is to take advantage of what's available there and established while they get their feet on there and understand how this works. We've got just a minute or so left. If I'm an advisor and I want to move forward with this or learn more or think it might be something useful for my client base, what's the first step that I should take? I think the first step is to consider what it is about that particular employer that makes them a good fit for it. So when we kind of sort out the employer type, it's, you know, do they have a willingness to treat their health plan as if it were another portion of their business, treat it as, as if it's something that really that they can impact and want to be involved with. So, so I think it's, it's making sure that the employer is the right characteristics for the program, that they understand that this is an additional investment of time and resources to, to better manage it. I think that's a really important first step. And I think from from a from the advisor standpoint, as they begin to figure out the solution for them, it's it's to look around and really understand the full spectrum. A good partner in this business, their job is going to be to teach the advisor this business from start to finish, show them the entire spectrum of self-funding through the life cycle of participating in a medical stop loss group captive, what it looks like, what the good, bad, and the ugly will be along with it, 
uh, and really advise them on that and allow them to kick the tires, poke holes in it, and again, become educated on it. So I think if I were an advisor, I would say the first thing I would do is, is take a look at my book of business, make sure I'm committed to self-funding, uh, make sure that I certainly understand what I like about the world of risk management and self-funding right now. And, and there's certainly a lot of things evolving there. And then I would spend a good amount of time making sure that I pick the right partner on the front end. This is not something that you just want to throw out to market. It's not a dear vendor, please quote type of approach. It really is a marriage between the agency and the partner that's helping uh, helping you kind of build or support your program. So I think doing that diligence, getting comfortable with it, becoming an expert in it, understanding the steps and the life cycle is a really important element. At the end of the day, what makes this a little bit different than other things we see in the self-funded world is your captive is going to be front and center. Your captive partners are going to be front and center with your customers. And so you want to be 100% certain that you've picked the right partner and you're comfortable bringing them into the room. It might have been a room that was only shared by you and your client before. And now, by all means, you've got a number of different sort of elements that you're bringing to your customer, and, and they're going to be exposed to some some of these solution partners more than ever. And so you got to make sure we really pick the right the right entities to, to build this out with. I think it's a great place to leave our conversation for today. Jim Hoyt, Senior Vice President of the Captive Division at Berkeley Accident and Health. Jim, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. Thanks, David. I enjoyed the time. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.